So invite someone. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. We'll end up tomorrow in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to ask you if you're able, as you turn to Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 21, I'm going to ask in deference to God's Word, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 21, and I'll read through verse 26. Romans 3, beginning with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all men, all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness For the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believes in Jesus. Please be seated. Let us pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, it will be pleasing you now to allow me to preach your word. We thank you for the time of worship. We thank you for those who share their gifts of music and uh, vocal talents, dear Father, to lead us in worship. We are grateful for that, but we ask now that your Holy Spirit will help us to hear from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The fifth installment of What Did the Cross Look Like? Tonight we will ask, uh, recognize that we were looking down at the cross. We'll look at it from a completely different standpoint than what we're used to. Try to show you a little something there. I was put in mind of a fellow, a pastor who had run into this young couple. They were married. He got to talking to him. He got to witnessing to him. And the girl said she believed. It didn't seem real sincere, but she said she did. But the, the husband, he made no bones about it. No, I don't believe in God. And the preacher tried to talk to him a little bit, but he won't hear none of that. Well, he ran into him about 15 years later. And he come to him and he said, hey, you remember our conversation about God? He said, yeah. He said, Do you still not believe in God? He said, Preacher. He said, I believe in God. He said, Not only do I believe in God, I got three teenagers. I believe in demon possession now. (laughs) Sometime being thrown into the crucibles of life and the very difficult times will give us a whole different spiritual perspective. I say all of that. For this reason, kind of leading up to it, a couple of weeks ago, I was asked to teach a Bible class to fill in for the usual teacher who was leading a mission trip, and I counted that as a privilege, and so I just taught a few lessons on Genesis chapter 1, uh, first couple of chapters, basically just pointing out, if you get your doctrine off here, it's going to be wrong when you get to the New Testament, and I, I just encouraged them constantly, invited them to ask questions. I told them, stop taking notes and start thinking, hear from God's Word. I had the privilege of doing that because I was only there eight days and didn't have to teach an entire curriculum and i was asked some really good questions one of them was this you preacher you said that god is to be glorified in all things if everything is for his glory is that selfish i was like i love it i love it you're thinking excellent question is it selfish of god to receive glory in all things well if he don't create everything and he's not the owner of everything and He's not the Redeemer of everything, then yeah, it might be selfish. But when you spoke it all into existence, and as I tried to explain to them, when you know everything's ultimate purpose, how it will be redeemed, and what it is created for, then you have a great understanding, greater than anything we can know, and therefore, He is worthy to be glorified, because He owns it all. 
And it's our job to give Him glory. He will declare some things about Himself. I submit to you Christians, we often look at the view, uh, view the cross selfishly. Now let me be very careful with that word. In other words, we only see it in what it's done for me. Now there's nothing wrong with that. Hear me out, please. We only, maybe we only see the forgiveness that we have now because of the cross. That's a wonderful thing. But we don't, maybe don't see the entire redemption plan. Again, they're not, it's not that that's wrong. It's just incomplete. I'll show you a little something different tonight. I submit to you oftentimes the reason the gospel becomes misunderstood, misinterpreted, or there's malpractice involved with it in so-called Christian circles is right here in this text. We never shift the focus from us to Him. When that happens, we're heading into dangerous waters. We go to the cross knowing we're sinners. We fall at the foot of the cross asking, pleading, begging for forgiveness. To receive salvation, nothing wrong with that. But we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and begin to recognize there's a lot of greater truths there. And we must understand them. We've been looking at the salvation as we looked at the cross that's been provided for us on that cross, and rightly so. Again, nothing wrong with that, but I want to show you something of equal import, maybe even greater depth. Psalm 115.1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy true sake. I will attempt to do this now from Romans chapter 3. I'm going to give you three points. The first thing we'll see, His righteousness is demonstrated in verses 21 through 22. We'll see that the redemptive work is done in 23 through 24. And then we'll see a revealing declaration in 25 and 26. I'll just tell you up front, I'll be a little lighter in my first two points, and I want to focus, really bring into focus 25 and 26. His righteousness has been demonstrated, but now... Paul speaking, if you understand a little bit of what all he's taught in, his te- in, in Romans, it's a great uh, uh, treatise on, the, on our salvation and, and all he's led up to and what does not lead us to salvation and all of that. And he gets to this point, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Paul has already taught us in previous chapters, it is impossible... To earn or attain salvation on our own. It is of God and it is from God. And he's speaking in this season now, but now the righteousness of God. Let me give a basic definition to you. I don't know about y'all, but you know, I've done told y'all I'm not the smartest person in the world and I get all of that. We'll use words sometimes. We'll know how to use them appropriately. We'll know when to punctuate them. We'll know when to say amen. We'll, we'll generally in our minds know what the definition of them is. But it does us well at times to pause and to think, what does that truly mean? When I keep saying the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, what does that actually mean? I'm sure we could all, as I said, we know, but let's stop and think about it for a minute. Can I give you this definition of it? The holy, just, and perfect character of God. The holy, just, Perfect character of God. When I say the righteousness of God, let me put it to you in Keelanese. That's my native tongue, because as you've already learned, I don't speak English too good. God's perfect. He's God. He's perfect. The holy, just, 
And righteous character of God. The perfect character of God. He's perfect in His plan. He's perfect in His purposes. He's perfect in His precepts. He is perfect in His practice. And He is perfect in His personhood. He is just in His plan. And so forth and so on. He says it's being witnessed now. But now the righteousness of God without the the law is manifest. It's being witnessed. You can see it. You can know it now. It's manifest. Now note this. It's not that it's been newly created. God didn't all of a sudden decide at that moment when Jesus was being hauled up to Golgotha, you know what, I need me some righteousness. No, this plan's been in place all along. He's been righteous all along. Everything He's ever done or thought was righteous. And His plan is ultimately worked out into righteous fruition. It was already there. We just have not seen it yet in this way. I began this series preaching from Isaiah, talking about God looking ahead to that cross. And we established the fact God does not wear a watch. If time wanted to know what time it was, it would look at God, because God created time. It was none of that. He understood this plan was all along. He's revealed it in the law, but He's not provided it by the law. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39? He says, you search the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life. And it is there, these that bear witness of me. God's been laying this plan out all along. He is declaring unto us now, at that moment, on Calvary, God is saying something to us. Yes, He's saying He loves us. Yes, He's saying forgiveness is available. But God is saying something to us, brothers and sisters, about Himself. It is now being manifest without the law. There's no longer Moses on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Which, by the way, that already broke before He ever got down to heal good. That days is gone. He's bringing all of that. The Bible says in the Old Testament, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus. It was to show us that we couldn't be good enough. That we weren't going to keep all of them. It's by Christ. He has revealed this law. is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Christ was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He brought it all to fruition. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. It's God's righteousness. It's not man's. First thing we need to understand is salvation is not some kind of partnership. You bring something to the table and Jesus brings something to the table. We bring sin to the table. He brings forgiveness. We bring us as wretched sinners. He brings holy imperfection. He's provided this for us. He's doing this for us. We are recipients of it. It must first exist in Him before He can give it to us. Let that sink in. It must first exist in God before He can give it to us. God didn't just all of a sudden, as I said, dream it up. First John 4, it says God is love. He's not a loving God because He does things that you and I perceive as lovable. He does loving things because He is love. There would be no love apart from God. First John 4, 8, God is love. This righteousness that He is declaring to us exists within Him. He is a righteous God. We may not can see it at times. The puzzle pieces may not yet fit together. The picture may not be clear just yet. But you can be certain He is righteous. And that all things are going to work out according to how He has planned it. If you're looking for justice and equity on this earth, you ain't going to find it. You may find it at times. 
We may see glimpses of it. And we may see things that give us hope of it. But you can forget it. It's not on this earth. It does not take long to understand for us to peel off the scales from our eyes and lift our heads from our own little world and realize some of the things that's going on in this world. There are orphanages all over this world that when the children turn 18, they are forced outside the doors. And in a lot of those countries, there are men in vans sitting there waiting to pick them up. Would you like me to tell you what they do with them? There ain't no justice and equity for that. But you make no mistake. My God has declared Himself as righteous. And He will make things right when it's said and done. And He's declaring that on the cross. He's not just declaring that He can make me righteous. He is declaring Himself as righteousness. For all who truly believe in Christ, there is no difference. For all of us, the redemptive work is now done. For all have sinned, verse 23, and come short of the glory of God. We talked about this the other day. God is still in the saving business as the old saying goes. But there is nothing else. Let me repeat that again. There is nothing else that God needs to do for any one individual to be saved. He's provided it. It is done. I'm pretty sure Jesus said to tell us, Ty, it is finished when it was over with. The payment has been made. There's nothing else that needs to be done. The redemptive work has been complete. He has provided the way. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Think about this. If we think we can earn salvation, is God's character for sale? If I can match God, then either He ain't God or I am. We oftentimes have trouble with things of God that we can't perceive or understand. Let me just give it to you the way I think about it. This will probably confuse some of you, but some of you will be convinced. I knew the boy was crazy. I'm certain of it now. When I come across these issues, the intersection of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, predestination, free, free will, and all that, people say, oh, I have such a trouble with that. Or the fact that God is infinite or the Trinity, all these issues people have such problem with. Let me explain something to you. If I could understand every bit of God, that would be to boil Him down for my little, into my little pea brain mind. I want a God that's a whole lot bigger than that. Amen. And He explains just enough to me to get me through without me understanding that I cannot fully comprehend the expansion and the complexity of our God. So I don't have a problem with a lot of those things. You're right. I can't, I can't understand. I'm a finite being. My mind wants to understand a beginning and an end. So where did God come from? He tells me I'm in, that He is infinite. I can't completely comprehend that, so I take it by faith. Amen. He says He's infinite. I accept that. So I don't have a problem with those things that I can't boil down just to fit into my brain because I don't want to make God so small. He's much larger than that. His redemptive work has been done. Never measure yourself against another. When we start to say, well, I'm not this or I'm not that, for all of sin to fall short of the glory of God, we have been justified freely by His grace. That's what we were justified by. When we decide to measure ourselves against others, we're making a mistake. We must measure ourselves against a holy, perfect, and just God. And again, to assume that I can match Him will be then to assume that either I am God or He is a less worthy God. We don't match up to Him. It's not one another we need to compare to. Compared to Stalin, I'm not so bad. Well, compared to God, we're all bad. He has done the redemptive work. Verse 24, we have been justified freely 
by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified means we've been declared righteous. We've been adjudicated. He was now pronounced us innocent. When Satan, the accuser of the brethren, pronounces things against us and accuses us openly when it's said and done, Christ's blood will have covered it. I have been proclaimed innocent. I don't have to worry about that part. I'm going to get to heaven. I'll make mistakes along the way. I'll need to ask for forgiveness for them. But ultimately, I have been justified. I am now in Christ Jesus. And it's freely, see that right there? By His grace. We as Christians misinterpret grace sometimes. As if just saying, I love you and grace is everything. No, it's understanding who it comes from. And what it truly means. It's not that sin doesn't matter. Just because God was gracious to us, didn't that don't mean He said, and this is here again, we begin to learn about Him. Did He say, oh, never mind all that sin, don't even worry about it, I'll just be gracious to y'all. Where are we at? We're on the cross. So sin did mean something. So when He gives us grace, there's something else behind it. Giving us something we didn't deserve. Recognizing sin does have consequences. But it was freely given to us. But make, make, make sure we know just because it was free to us doesn't mean it didn't cost something. God sent His Son to die for us. Grace, we didn't deserve it. And it's all centered around the work of Christ through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He has redeemed us. He has prepared all those things for us. So we recognize there on the cross what He's declaring about um, us. And we recognize that forgiveness and redemption is available through Christ Jesus. I want to move now to 25 and 26, my final point, which will be a little bit extended. There's a revealing declaration here. I told you this one would be a little heavier than the other two. When I'm asked to write something or sign it or whatever, and you know they want my signature and put a Bible verse with it and all of that, I always put it Romans 11.36. And here's why I put it. It says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The reason I like that verse is I can't fit me nowhere in there. Because it's my selfish nature. It's my fleshly nature to want to fit myself in there somewhere. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory and honor forever. It's all about Him. What He's done to me and for me. The cross we often see, as I said, only for what He has done for us. But let's see what God declares about Himself that day. Jesus was God incarnate. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His earthly ministry in the flesh was to bring glory to God. Read John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, and take note of how many times he declares, I've done that for your glory. In 2 Corinthians 4.15, he says, for all things. How many? All. How many is all? All. We've already figured this out this week. For all things are for your sake. That your abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound unto the glory of God. If I were to ask you tonight, church, and yes, I'm leading up to this point. If I were to ask you tonight, church, how many of you would like to give more glory to God? Every one of us say, Amen. Let's give more glory to God. I'm about to equip you with a way to give more glory to God. And it's going to take a little work for us to get there. This won't be the easiest preaching you've ever heard. Well, none of my preaching is easy, but nonetheless, it won't be the easiest sermon you've ever heard. But we will get to a point in this. I want you to notice what he says. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. The first thing we see that this was done in public. God set Him forth. He put Him out there. He was not sacrificed. 
in the hidden recesses of the Holy of Holies, God could have had His Son and spared Him a little dignity from those wretched humans who were going to mistreat Him and had Him killed on the altar in the Holy of Holies. No, 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 no. He put Him out in public for a reason. It says He set Him forth. He is put out there on a rugged Roman cross on a hillside called Calvary. Why? Because He wants everybody to know something. He set Him forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. So He's put Him there publicly to make sure we understand there is a payment for sin. There must be a satisfactory payment for sin. How many of us, if we were honest, would look around and think there were some sins that were going to go unpunished? We would. We look at people and say, oh, they got away with it. Some of you young people think just because your parents ain't looked in your phone, you got away with something. You ain't got away with nothing. God knows it all. There's going to be a punishment for sin. He is declaring publicly every sin ever has a consequence. It ain't just about me and you and my sins on that cross. God put Him forth publicly to let us know there was a propitiation through faith in His blood. You can be saved through faith in His blood. He is providing the perfect payment for the sin. Well, if God created everything and He made the rules, then He gets to declare what the consequences are. And He told us in Leviticus 17.11 and Hebrews 9.22, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. He set him forth publicly. He put him out there. From even back in the garden, what did he tell him? If you touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But then instead of striking them dead, when they realized themselves to be naked, he covered them with animal skins. Where did he get them from? The first sacrifice right there. God is publicly declaring to the entire world, sin has consequences. I will pay them. You can be redeemed through faith in His blood. We have no process of our own selves of satisfying the encroachment of sin and the encroachment that sin is to God's righteousness. Billions of people for thousands of years have come up with millions of ways to feel like, to hope, to somehow work out that maybe they can satisfy some God for whatever they deem to be unequal or unjust. There's only one way. And God put it out there publicly and said, this is the way. This is the only satisfactory payment there is. He declared it all. God will finally and completely be satisfied with the penalty of sin of all humankind. In the blood that was paid from Jesus Christ. Thousands of animals in the Old Testament sacrifices did not do it. They were only symbolic of the Lamb of God. God has always said sin has consequences. Oftentimes we might think that they didn't. Sometimes we think they don't. We get away with them. He is declaring to us sin has consequences. And Christ Jesus pays for those sins. Now this proclamation He makes, it begs the question, did it need to be declared? He says to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In Exodus 34, 7, God has said, He has stated He will by no means clear the guilty. He's already told us this stuff, but He's going to give us this public display. 
And we along that journey, and in our faith walk, and the struggles that we have, you've heard people maybe say this, you'll hear critics of the Bible say, in particular the Old Testament, how can you worship a God who is so cruel in some of the things that He told them to do in the Old Testament? Women were raped and murdered. Children were killed. Well, first of all, i got a philosophical issue with that question. So if you don't believe in God, then who done all those horrible things? So don't come here at me about my God that supposedly done all those things and you're telling me you don't even believe in Him. Because if you're right and there is no God, then this is mankind's work that you're saying is pretty bad. However, we understand, we look at the horror that was unleashed on people. But upon closer examination, what we'll find out, the opposite of truth is true. Even some of the Old Testament writers and people back then started having problems with this. You can find this in Scripture. In Habakkuk 1.13, or Habakkuk, ever how you choose to pronounce it. In 1.13 it says this, How do you hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he? Do you hear that question? God, you who cannot look upon sin, how is it that you can hold your tongue when he who is wicked kills the righteous man? They're asking God, aren't you going to do anything about sin? Malachi 2.17 The whole nation had become cynical. They looked around and they saw the wicked prospering and the righteous struggling. Any of us ever seen something like that? And they began to ask God. And they made this statement, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of God. And everyone that does good, they ask, where is the judgment? What is happening? They became cynical. They looked in the Old Testament and they began to ask themselves, God, are you going to judge this? Where is the fairness? Where is the equity? But God knew this day was coming. And that He would declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What can possibly assuage the judgment of God? Or is there anything? There was only one thing. And He declared it right here. God through His forbearance, His patience. Look what it says right there. God was being patient. See, it was never, listen closely to me church, it was never that these sins were going unpunished. Because by the way, if you die without faith in Him, you're going to hell and you're going to spend all eternity there. Paying that punishment. It's not that God wants that to happen. But in His plan, and in His perfect, righteous plan of redemption, He looked ahead through His forbearance. He was looking ahead to this day when He would declare, yes, those sins had a consequence. Yes, they demand a punishment. Yes, they demand a payment. For those who accepted Him by faith in the Old Testament, just the same way Christ's blood was applied to them. Their faith in Him. His redemption plan is right on time. Just as He said, just as He said it would be. Forbearance. He was patient with people and He tolerated, if you want to use that word, not so much that He tolerated, but He knew the day was coming. That's how he could be patient. Why did he need to declare his righteousness so out throughout the history of mankind we cannot say any sin went unpunished. We cannot say God did not care. We cannot say God was callous about it or indifferent to it. His eternal perfect plan, the righteousness of God was in full display at the death of Christ. He looked down at the cross and declared, this is my righteousness. It is satisfied by punishing His own Son. 
That's when Hebrews 1, 3 teaches us that when Christ was done, He Himself purged us from our sins and He sat down at the right hand of God. Why would He have sat down? Because His work was done. God has declared this is it. He makes this presentation in verse 26. Again, He says, To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be the just and the justifier of Him which believes in Jesus. To declare His righteousness. Again, He put it on display. We see His patience. We see His mercy. We see His holiness. We see His justness. All of this is on display for us. The attributes of our God right there on the cross. Not just His love for us. Not just His grace and His mercy. We see that He is a just God. We see His forbearance through that. All of this being declared to us. And again, he says that he might be the just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Can he grant me justification if he is not a just God? He has declared to us that he is. Sin will go punished. He will rule rightly. He will not mess up with the law or anything like that. He's declared himself as just and he imputes that justification on our part because Christ has met the requirements. It's given to us. Romans 8.32 says he spared not his own son but delivered Him up for us all. The perfect plan of redemption has been set forth by a perfect God. You and I, generally speaking, wouldn't challenge the perfect perfection of God. But when we ask why, when we look around and we wonder, when we only see our own forgiveness at the cross, we forget God was declaring all of His attributes right there on the cross. You can see them. Not only can you see His mercy and love, you can see His righteousness. God will punish sin me and you can play with it we can redefine it we can call it something else god does not play with sin all throughout the history of mankind when we look back and say where was god when all that was going on he was looking ahead to the cross knowing all of that would be poured out on jesus christ and if that forgiveness is not accepted and what has christ done you'll then pay for it for all eternity And He is just in doing that. It's not that He sends you to hell. You'll choose to go there. The Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels, not for you. It is not His will that any should perish. He's done it all. He's declared it right there for us. If there's ever any question, did they get away with it? No, they didn't. They may have for now. You might think they did for now. They're not going to get away with it in eternity. If there's ever a question, does God care about sin? How can we look at that and say, God, how can you allow that to go on? Because judgment's coming. Because He's already declared it. Our God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is merciful. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is a wonderful God. He's not just a forgiving God. Make no mistake, God looked down on that cross and made this public display for all of humanity to see and know His attributes. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is patient. He is merciful. But He will judge sin. He has no choice but to. God will punish sin. You can accept the punishment that's already been paid, or you can accept the one that will be awaiting judgment. Not only is His love declared for us at the cross, but His righteousness. Church, I want to leave you with this question. God has declared all these things to us at the cross. We love to walk away and know that we're forgiven at the cross. And again, nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's only half the story. 
If you want to give more glory to God, if you want your life to exemplify God to be more Christ-like, then we need to understand His attributes and realize that we are more than just forgiven. How does our lives declare that God is just? I'm going to leave you to think on these things. I'm closing with this. How do our lives declare that God is a patient God? How do our lives declare that He is a perfect God? How do our lives declare that He is merciful? How do our lives declare that He is righteous? We always want to declare that He's a loving God, and He is. Oh, but that's not all He is. Let us pray. Merciful Father, forgive me for any injury I've done to Your text, Lord. I'm, I'm so afraid to even begin to talk about Your attributes, dear Father. I cannot begin to scratch the surface of that. I just pray, oh now, Heavenly Father, Your Word says You declared unto us in that day Your righteousness as You looked down at the cross and were satisfied with what Christ Jesus done and with what You declared about Yourself. I'm asking You now, Heavenly Father, would You look down into our lives and be satisfied with what it is we declare about You? Father, help us, O merciful Lord, to declare who You are, O merciful Father, to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.